en el disco. You're listening to Druid FM on 192BC. Welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. This is Baz v Halloween, episode number one, 2015. Oh my god, all rhymed, everything seemed like I'd written it down, but that was that was just off the cuff, because that's how we roll here at the podcast Under the Stairs. You are joining us on uh, our second annual Baz v Halloween series of shows. So before I get into detail about what that entails and what we'll be bringing you throughout the month of October, it feels right to introduce the star of the show, the man who hopefully will be a shell of a man, hollowed out husk by the end of week five of October, is of course the man, the myth, the legend, the Baz. Hola, my sexy, scary, slippery, sexy, sexy Halloween bitches. There was a slippery in there, Baz. There was a slippery because they're soaking wet, Duncan. Because it's Baz v fucking Halloween, my friend. We're back. <laughs> we are back. Um, we're, this, uh, I mean, we're back doing this particular segment. And it's worth stressing that just a couple of weeks ago, we, we launched the final Baz v horror looking at the A Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. and. Yeah, quite glad to see the back of that. Yes, I am. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped to be doing something different, Duncan. Um, I've made my feelings kind of clear in the franchises. I'm a bit kind of battle-weary with them at the moment. Um, and the thought of 10 brand spank new films that I've got fuck all to do with each other is mm-hmm. uh, right up my alley. So fetch me my shooting irons because there's some fucking killing to be done. <laughs> <laughs> for for any new listeners or listeners who have listened within the last year, this year, 2015, and maybe not ventured back uh, to October last year, you may not know what Baz v Halloween is. And we have kind of talked about it a bit in the, the build-up uh, over the last couple of episodes. I, I know certainly myself, I've been gearing up the hype machine uh, towards these uh, these five weeks of, of shows. Do you say hate machine? Hype, hype, Baz. Oh, right. <laughs> Hype machine, not hate machine. I was like, that's Why really harsh, man. <laughs> oh, trust me, we'll get into that. Uh, but yeah, so the hype machine uh, has been geared up because this, I will be honest and upfront, of the shows we did last year, this particular series of shows, the Basby Halloween ones, were amongst my favourites. Like, definitely top tier shows of last year just because um, it was something a bit different. And I, I really enjoyed the format, and I really enjoyed the psychosis that slowly started to seep into your mind about the midway point. It was it was pretty awesome. Yeah, they, they weren't among my favourite shows, Duncan. I'm not going to lie about that. Um, yeah, and I think just the the, the high concentration of the mm-hmm. films I was watching last year. It, I had it quite an effect on me, almost physically to an extent. Um, it was pretty hard going at points, um, and I was glad to see the back of it. But yeah. I've got, I brought my game face with me, big man. I'm ready to take it on again. 
Yeah, so 2014, we kicked off Baz v Halloween, um, and that was essentially five weeks, five weeks of shows, um, and we picked as our main feature the Paranormal Activity movies. Now, the reason we picked that as our main feature um, was because of the infamous story of Baz having to switch off Paranormal Activity about 20 minutes into it and then delete the recording from existence on his uh, TiVo box because he did not like it and maybe got under his skin granted you were kind of fresh faced with horror then and you just decided on a whim to watch it one dark and stormy night which is not a great idea Baz I was um, yeah I think we'd actually only done two or three Baz V horrors at this point um, Mm -hmm. and I thought I was doing alright up to this point even the ones that had scared me I'd kind of really enjoyed Um, and yeah, I, I just I took a notion. It was on television one night and I'd recorded it and I sat down to watch it. But I sat down to watch it on my own in the dark, late at night. Um, yeah, and I, I get 20 minutes in and just fuck that shit. And off it went. <laughs> and of course, you you latched onto that like some kind of psychotic limpet. Um, <laughs> and decided that you were going to make me watch all of them during the month of October. Back Which back. we did. Which we did, Which we yes. Did. Yeah. Yes, we did. I coupled them up um, in the the kind of minor feature of movies with horror movies that I really enjoy that I think um, covered a, a kind of broad spectrum of, of different sort of horror movies as well. Which yeah, was they were all a little bit different, mm-hmm. you know. Some maybe ones that wouldn't come up under normal kind of themes, if you like. Yeah, yeah, and um, I, I mean some of them were successful you know you enjoyed them some of them not so much <laughs> and we we basically we ran the gambit on that and um at the end i was very happy to say that halloween won because um just like baz v horror um we we like to put the challenge out there we like to give you something to aspire to um, this season of Baz v Horror has been great, so because you're at Horror High, um, getting a bit more of the intellectual side of, of horror, like the, the real kind of nuts and bolts foundation of modern horror, um, this year we've been grading you uh, using school grades, Yep. and you've been performing fantastically. Yeah, it's, it's going quite well. I've been quite pleased so far. Uh, yeah, I've, and I always knew you had it in you. Um, but last year, it was a bit more competitive because not any person can just swanee into horror high bars. There are high standards. It's like Hogwarts. I like to think it's more of a sashay than a swanee. <laughs> or maybe a meander. A swagger. A swagger. Swagger. Now, big like that, swinging so. dick swagger. A big swinging dick swagger. There you go, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. That is an image that will put you off your dinner. Especially if you're having bangers and mash. Um, but... Uh, it was competitive last year on um, Baz v Horror so and you won Baz v Horror last year hence your entry into Horror High yes. that we decided to try and give horror a bit of a home feel advantage by condensing down the time in between movies that you're watching hence one a week for five weeks and uh, you went head to head with Halloween and overall Halloween won three to two um, granted it won the first three weeks because the paranormal activity movies are really only effective the first three movies uh, and then that quickly kind of tapers off so this is uh, this is your redemption my friend this is Baz v Halloween the second year you could bring it back level pegging if you defeat Halloween this year but Baz I've up to stakes yeah 
I mean, I feel I have to try and bring it back for my own self-respect, Duncan, but you've, you've gone a wee bit nasty this year, I've got to say. Well, there is a reason I've went a bit nasty, uh, nasty Baz. Um, the, the main reason that I decided to, to kind of up things, so to speak, um, is because you've not really faced any really scary movies this year at all. Um, no, done... not particularly. Not, no. not in Horror High. It's been more films that I have needed to watch, if you like. Yeah, well, we've went through two franchises. Mm-hmm. Um, in you know, the Friday the, uh, the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street franchises and the only movies we've done out with those uh, one was The Exorcism of Emily Rose which you walk through quite comfortably yeah. another one was High Tension which even though it was graphic and head scratching to you in bits you walk through that one quite comfortably so you kind of put me in a position where I, I felt that I needed to change the approach mm-hmm. And that's what we've done here. So, um, if people have been listening to the the recent shows, they will know that I created a list of your main features being found footage movies that I really enjoy, that I think not enough people are talking about, or just that I think you should watch. Um, And those will be the main features. But I decided to bring in, um, in the minor feature, um, something a bit different. And not all of these movies are horror movies, but what they are is psychologically traumatising on one level or another. Um, I dubbed this segment Unsettling Cinema, um, and it's, it is fairly unsettling. The, the subject matter in each of the movies is beyond taboo to the point of uh, kind of stomach turning. And um, I like to refer to it as manky. yeah manky cinema Um, and yeah so you're going to be running through five weeks of that Um, this first week uh, which debuts the 1st of October 2015 we are going to be covering in the unsettling cinema bracket I Spit in Your Grave from 1978 also known as Day of the Woman Um, and in the, the main feature the found footage movie the last broadcast from 1998 um and this year, changing things around a little bit again, instead of just grading the the who won the competition, Baz or Halloween, and the main feature, we're doing it on both features each show. So at the end of this one, so the, basically we're we're going for the maximum score any any particular side can get is ten points. Yeah. Um, you need five points to claim well five points or more. To, to not be defeated six points obviously to claim victory and uh, this this is going to be a lot of fun um, for Baz, you yeah of course for <laughs> me it's all, well in saying that there's a couple of movies on the list especially under the unsettling cinema that I vowed not to watch again because of how uncomfortable they make me feel so this is no picnic in the park for me Baz <laughs> oh my yeah. heart bleeds McLeish my heart bleeds <laughs> <laughs> you bleed from the eyes later on as well. Uh, when you see yeah. some of the things that's coming up. Oh my god! Um, but yeah, so Baz, um, before we kick in to a really, really exciting new opener that I have created to uh, mark this show, is there anything you want? Any last words uh, before we embark on this five-week odyssey of atrocities? <laughs> Well, when you put it like that, yeah, I've changed my mind. <laughs> no, I'm, uh, I've got to say, Duncan, um, <laughs> even after my success last year and my, you know, how well I've done in, in my second year here, um, I don't know 
how I feel about this at all. Um, the main feature is the found footage. Found footage we have found um, since I started Baz V Horror to be a bit of an Achilles heel for me. It's your kryptonite, isn't it? It is a little bit, yeah. Um, so the fact that I'm facing up against five of them and not the kind of the common one, you know, not the ones I've seen, maybe more obscure ones. So that could go either way. But I think what's really got me nervy. I'd be okay tackling them if I thought it was going to be alright with the sort of side project movies, if you like. But this idea of unsettling cinema, sometimes that has a much more of an effect on me than a horror film does. Um, you know, things getting into my head. Um, I've mentioned in the past, you know, anything with any form of child abuse or anything like that in it. Yeah. Really, really, you know, it gets into my head and then I don't get rid of it for days. Um, Dolores Claiborne been a film that really got to me in that that manner mm -hmm. kind of thing. It was not a particularly scary film, Dor Dor Dolores Claiborne, but it's a very good film. But yes. it, it left me just feeling horrible and thinking about it for days. And I think probably my bigger concern actually is is this unsettling cinema um, that they may have that effect on me. And I'm, I'm concerned that after maybe five fairly intense weeks of it, the kind of physical effect that's going to have. You know, I. I don't really see me getting this creeped out way that I was last year, but I could see me possibly starting to feel very demoralised and, you know, just not wanting to go on type thing. Um, that's the plan. See anymore. <laughs> that's, that's that's the plan. Um, the, the 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 first the first string of movies, um, unsettling cinema, are movies that I'm hoping latch on and have you thinking about a couple of days later and the plan is to, to slowly weaken your resolve and the found footage movies just to, to, to clean up the mess, really. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going for glory here. Um, I kind of felt, even though Halloween won last year, it kind of won on a technicality. Uh, it won for the fact that, you even said it yourself, the third movie when you watch it didn't really do anything to you, yeah. but the impact of watching so many movies back to back kind of played on your mind that by the time we came to record you were spooked out yeah, um, and that's that's how it won I kind of really want to kind of move forward with just kind of making sure that there's no ambiguity here and there's a clean win in the Halloween camp um, so yeah that's 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 my plan we'll, we'll see you're we'll see how well it plays man, you're going for the KO yeah yeah I'm, I'm, Arlands. yeah yeah sports ball um <laughs> No, I'm not sure. uh, but yeah, the, the plan is to, the plan is to really go for it this year, and I genuinely think if you if you triumph this season, then I'm going to have to go back to the drawing board probably in the first of November and start planning the following October. Um, where where do we go? Like snuff films or something like that? <laughs> 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 or make you watch movies like they do in A Clockwork Orange with your eyes pinned open. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so, um, yes, that's the plan. And, and we'll see how we get on. Now, I will say upfront and honest, this first movie we're going to tackle in the unsettling cinema is the tamest one by quite a bit. So, if you struggled in this one, then you're in for a horrible time. If you <laughs> if you manage to sashay <laughs> through it pretty pretty comfortably, then they're only going to get progressively more disturbing as we go on. And I've covered a massive gambit in terms of they're not the, they're not all the same type. 
yeah. of psychological terror. Um, there's one movie in week four called Eden Lake, which plays on a very British um, social problem, which manifests in a horrible way in the movie. So, um, yes, there's plenty, plenty to go on. And the found footage movies, I'm not thinking all of them are going to be overly effective on you, but I'm kind of hoping you enjoy them. That's, that's my plan. That's my plan. Um, so anything else you want to say before we take a short break and come back with I Spit on Your Grave? No, man, let's get this shit done. Oh, yes. So we're going to take a very short break. You're going to hear promos for shows that I love. You're also going to hear the new intro for Baz v Halloween 2015. You're going to hear the trailer for our first movie review of this series of shows. It's I Spit on Your Grave from 1978 when myself and Baz return. We're going to discuss that movie right after this. Do you like movie reviews that are insightful, thought-provoking, and delivered by somebody who's trained to critically dissect every aspect of a motion picture without ever having to use obscenities? Then you've got the wrong show. Kruger Nation Horror Podcast is ready to feed your slasher movie and exploitation needs. There'll be more blood, expletives, and titties than you can shake your grandma's beetle flaps at. Visit www.kruggernation.com. You know those old-time radio shows with the married couples who bicker about the kids and the car and the neighbors? Our podcast is a lot like that. Yeah. Well, if you replace the kids, the car, and the neighbors with devil movies, theology, and vodka. My name is X. And I'm Cootie. And we are the hosts of Kiss the Goat, a different kind of movie podcast. Every episode, we review a devil movie. You know, possessions, exorcisms, the Antichrist, and we stomp a mud hole in it, even if we like it. We are huge fans of comparative religion, and we love to compare real belief systems with what Hollywood seems to think belief systems are. But don't think we're not civic-minded, because each episode includes our Satan in the News segment, where our fearless correspondent, Sin Fallon, documents the eternal struggle between good and evil. And, as high-functioning alcoholics, we give every movie its own drinking game, so that you can enjoy the movie just like we did, ripped to the tits. (laughs) And there is ever so much more to the show than that, and let me tell you, it ain't for kids. Hell, it ain't for most adults. But it might be for you. You won't know until you listen to Kiss the Goat exclusively on the Legion Network of Podcasts. That's Kiss the Goat. We're the lighter side. Of the dark side. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. I'm, I'm gearing myself Uh-oh. up. Full of fucking fright. Oh, you <laughs> bastard. The film kicked my ass. I mean, I'm a fucking 40-year-old man, but I was genuinely scared in the house on my own. Oh! Fuck it! <laughs> and actually, and without a word of a lie, when I first went in and over to my wife, I kind of knelt down in front of was watching the deli and I'm going like that, you're never leaving the house again on your own. <laughs> oh, shit! 
without a word of a lie, and I'm genuinely not making this up, and I've never done this in my life, I just went, SHIT! I will never watch this film again. Never as long as I live. Which she actually manages to achieve towards yeah. the end of the film after being skinned. Yeah. Which was fucking horrendous, to be quite honest. Yeah, yeah. And I was just so fucking unprepared for that. <laughs> My nervous system is at your disposal mm. uh, to be mocked by the fucking idiots that listen to this podcast. Baz v Halloween, year two. <laughs> Take off your clothes. I don't like women giving me orders. I spit on your grave. What you are about to see did happen. spit on your grave. This woman will soon cut, chop, break, and burn five men beyond recognition. And there isn't a jury in this country that will convict her. I'll give you something to remember for the rest of your life. I spit on your grave. Relax. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll make you feel like you've never felt before. God bless your hands. Wait till you feel this. Oh, yeah, that's fantastic. No. No, not I spit on your grave. Excuse me, didn't I? What do you want? It's you I want. <laughs> This is the very first movie of Baz v Halloween 2015 and we are in the unsettling cinema portion of the show, Baz. Yep. Oh, 
here we go. I Spit in Your Grave 1978, a.k.a. Day of the Woman, directed and written by Mirzachi. Um, the movie has a cast of pretty much nobody's really. Camille Keaton, Ern Tabor, Richard Pace, Anthony Nichols, Gunter Kleeman, Alex Magnotti, uh, Tammy Zarchi, Terry Zarchi, other folks. Um, and the synopsis in this movie is an aspiring writer is repeatedly gang raped, humiliated and left for dead by four men whom she systematically hunts down to seek revenge now this movie came out in 1978 this movie is infamous in the UK like hugely infamous in the UK because this was a video nasty it was banned it was on the original um the original list of 39 movies uh, which were prosecuted so people actually went to jail for distributing this movie it was it graced the front cover of many a right-wing newspaper um, claiming the outrage um, of what people could basically see uh, unsupervised um, and this movie is definitely not a movie you should be seeing if you're a child unsupervised because uh, the subject matter is beyond taboo or, to... or even supervised Duncan let's just no children watch this ever okay yeah it's yeah it's it's, it's a pr- I mean I remember when this movie got released like when when the nasty list finally was removed and this movie was released and it was released in 2000 and I worked um, for a, a video company at the time um, and when this came out this was like a day one rental for me I had to take this home and watch it to see what all the fuss was about and whilst it is not a, the, the making of the movie um, and the acting have not stood the test of time um, the subject matter and the way that certain things were shot really upset me um, and yeah I've, I, I vowed never to look at this movie again and then I started a show called Doing the Nasty which looks exclusively at video nasties which meant I had to look at it again um, so this will be the third time in my history on this planet having seen this movie for this show I put myself through it because I wanted to put you through it Baz let us know what you made of I Spit in Your Grave. Yep, it's time to gird up the pantaloons, Duncan, and get shit real. Uh, first off, the big man, I'd just like to say thank you very much for my new jingle. Oh, it's lovely. I was, I was maybe hoping for a snappy show tune. You've not gone down that road, but thank you all the same. <laughs> I was kind of thinking, originally I was going down the road of Rat Pack, kind of big swing band sort of thing, and I thought, nah... Uh, I kind of want to. I kind of want to do something a bit darker, and that's what you got, Baz. But I was thinking of you when I did it. Yeah, and how you got fucking Kanye West to guest on it is beyond me. <laughs> fucking hats off to you, big man. He all uses himself, prick. If you're listening, Kanye, you're a fucking cock. Anyway, right. Anyway, right. Let's let's do this. I spit on your grave, motherfuckers. 1978, Duncan. I would have been five. I'd actually started school by the time this film came out. Well, you're the reason that this movie was banned. <laughs> for your protection, Baz. Yeah, yeah. Um, not a film I had any knowledge of, Duncan, before we started. Um, obviously, I'd, I looked into it a little bit when, when I got the list through for, for Baz v Halloween. Um, and it, <laughs> the first thing I went to, when I went to buy it, I kind of did a, a rather large Amazon purchase to collect together all the titles for this project. Um, and I, I kind of, 
as a whim, decided I better text you because I noticed that there were two versions of this, and I was on the verge of buying the remake. The oh, remake right. The film, you know, and I ended up texting you, and you said, no, 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 we're doing the original one kind of thing. Right, okay. Um, so the copy I got is actually quite a nice little copy. It, it's, they're calling it the Ultimate Edition. It has actually scenes in it that haven't been seen in this country before. I'd imagine, mm-hmm. obviously I have no idea what they are, I'd imagine they're quite short little bits. But it came with a sort of DVD and the Blu-ray and a nice little booklet and stuff like that and a film poster. And that. I'm, I don't normally go down that road, but I was, I was quite impressed with the little package that I got. Mm-hmm. So I settled down to watch this film. Um, I was aware that it it was a kind of, well, I mean, going by what it fucking says on Wikipedia, to be quite honest, it is a controversial 1978 cult classic rape revenge film. <laughs> okay, yes. right, so we know where this film's going. That's a whole subgenre, by the way, that rape was very big in the 70s, rape revenge. Fuck's sake, and well... <laughs> Being a, a, a UK school child in the 70s, I ran the fucking gamut of getting molested by somebody that watched on television, or indeed a teacher, because most of them in the 70s were up to that kind of fucking nonsense. Thankfully, I escaped uh, unfazed, as it were. On that controversial note, <laughs> um, yeah, so I sat down to watch this the other night there. Um, the film itself, it opens up uh, in a city kind of thing. We see this woman getting in a car and she heads off into the country. And the first thing um, that hit me straight away is it, it is a very old-looking film, this. Mm-hmm. Now, 1978, I'm thinking, is that possibly the oldest one that we've done? Because I think um, up until now it was Friday the 13th. Yeah, this predates Friday uh, the 13th. So but a, couple of, a good couple of years. Yeah, so. so I think this might actually be the, the oldest film that we've tackled for Baz V Horror, uh, or Baz V Halloween. Um, and straight away, you know, the camera work's a bit shaky. The picture quality's not great, as you would expect, kind of thing. But it was more the camera work, kind of thing. And I'm thinking, oh, God, this doesn't bode well. We'll see how this goes, kind of thing. Yeah. Anyway, this woman, she jumps into her car and she heads off into the country. Uh, we find out shortly that she is an aspiring writer who has booked this kind of lake house thing for the summer where she plans to write her, I don't know if it's her debut or her latest novel or something like that anyway. Um, and on the way up, she pulls into a gas station to fill up. Um, there's a what seems like a, quite a nice fellow working at the gas station. He sorts her out, has a bit of a chat where there's two fucking redneck morons playing a game with a knife and just behind them kind of thing they appear to be friends of his uh, they don't look like the most intelligent bunch it's got to be said <laughs> um, but during the conversation she does kind of let slip where she's going and what she's doing it's not very far from where they are kind of thing um, and I've also noted at this point I've made my note about the sort of cinematography but the sound in this film is not very good either Um, obviously just down to its age and it was before the days of surround sound and stuff but even with you know this new blu-ray release the sound system I have with the telly and that I struggled, my hearing's not the greatest as people know um, and I was struggling sometimes to pick up some of the dialogue this was far worse at the start of the film because to be quite honest in the second half of this film the dialogue drops away for a (laughs) fair part of the film you know um, but yeah, it's quite an uncomfortable film to listen to, certainly for somebody with me that has kind of hearing issues. Um, she gets to the house, she settles in, she does a little bit of skinny dipping, 
Um, I'm, I'm going to refrain from my usual titty and bush type comments due to the nature of this film. I don't really feel that me commenting on her pubic hair is appropriate. So I'm going to fucking do- dodge that little bullet out of respect for fucking, well, just everybody, basically. <laughs> um, she then, uh, there's a, a fella comes to the house. Um, or sorry, one little scene that does become poor later, she finds a gun in a drawer. Um, I had to kind of wonder about the veracity of that. I know there's a lot of guns in America. I don't know if people just leave them lying in drawers like the Gideon's Bible. You know, when you're venting out a place, you leave a little shooter there for in case somebody wants to do a bit of shooting or a bit of killing. I don't know. It's they're in they're in redneck country. And it was the seventies, I suppose. So. <laughs> Fair I enough. Like, maybe I, I love this going. idea of the Gideon Bible being replaced by a by gun and that the the more south you go in America, the less Gideon you get, and more That's more revolver you get. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, so she does find this gun. She then we then introduced a character called Matthew, who is a, a local kind of young guy. Um, he's a delivery boy, um, and he's also uh, he's, he's kind of educationally challenged. I, I don't know what the best what term is to use. The boy's a bit uh, we would have called him simple when I was young. He's, he's not quite the full shilling, if you like. Um, and he works as the delivery boy, and he seems the dead nice wee guy, and he's chatting away at quite the thing, and she makes friends when she introduces herself. Her name's Jennifer. Um, the boy then leaves after having delivered the groceries and stuff for her, and he heads back, and then he ends up down at this gas station, um, and it, we then realise that he knows these three at the gas station, so the guy that runs the gas station and the two fucking morons. Um, and they go off fishing, um, there's a scene with them fishing at night kind of thing, and the, the conversation's fairly unsavoury, and it kind of centres around this idea of getting Matthew laid. Um, obviously, with his difficulties and stuff like that, he's not at sex, and they're going to do something about this. At some point, there's certainly no mention made of the character of Jennifer at this point, but you kind of get the feeling that it's maybe not going to be the nicest fucking thing that's ever happened mm-hmm. for somebody losing their virginity, you know? Um... This is the next day that she's then outside and she's going to start and work on her novel, but she's writing behind with a pen, I've got to say, so it must be a long fucking summer. Uh, <laughs> and the two fucking morons from the gas station turn up in a boat. Her house is on the edge of this kind of lake or river, um, and they're fucking about in the boat, driving backwards and forwards, kind of showing off, which for guys who would appear to be in their late 20s is somewhat juvenile. <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. I don't know if they're maybe meant to be like 18, 19. They certainly don't fucking look it. Oh, and putting a shirt or a t-shirt on wouldn't have killed either of them either. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> There's one guy who attempts to cover his nipples with braces. That's even fucking weirder than your fucking permanently topless pal there. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> fucking oddballs. Anyway. Um, she gets pissed off with us, so she goes back inside kind of thing. Um... Then there's a scene at night, they're clearly, you don't see them, but they're obviously outside their house and they're whistling and kind of shouting and stuff like that, and she goes out and they've all disappeared. Anyway, so the next day she is out in a, a boat, she's a little kind of paddle boat thing that must have come with the house or something, she's kind of floating about out in the water, just having a wee bit of a sunbathe and keeping herself to herself and enjoying herself, and these two fucking idiots turn back up in their shitty little speedboat thing. Um, and then they, they kind of start whizzing round her boat and shaking it, and the... This is obviously where the film starts to go down the road that it's going down. 
Um, and what, what, right away, I was kind of thinking, you know, there's there's no fucking build up here at all. Yeah. You know, right, they, they buzzed about, but she didn't speak to them. You would kind of think maybe it's one of these things, you know, that one of them tries on and she spurns them or something like that, you know, and they, they get fucked off so they come back and they do what they want anyway, kind of thing, you know. That there's literally none of that. All she's had so far is a brief 30 second conversation at a gas station, them fucking about in the river for a couple of minutes the previous day, and now this. So as I say, so they start whizzing round, so it's a bit like what happened the previous day, but then they start to sort of shake the boat, so she falls down in the boat, and then the next thing they've got it tied up with a bit of rope, and they fucking shoot off, basically towing her um, away down this river. And obviously she's screaming the whole time and telling them to stop and all this kind of thing. Um, and they don't, they get her, they sort of get her to the bank in the woods kind of thing. And by this point, this other fella for the gas station, they kind of get the gas station attendant guy who's the kind of ringleader of this little group. He's there and so is the character of Matthew. So essentially they chase it about, you know, for a couple of minutes kind of thing. Um... <laughs> And it, all right, it's fairly unsavoury, but at first you, you kind of don't know if it's playful or if you know if they're just being fucking wee wide dicks. But as soon as the kind of head guy wades in, he just basically rips her bikini right off, and the next minute the poor lass is kind of naked there. And then they essentially pin her down, hold her legs open, and he rapes her. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I suppose it was graphic for that time. I've certainly seen a lot more graphic stuff nowadays um but it's far from fucking pleasant i've got to say um i've got i'll I'll come back and i'll talk about all of this at length at at the end of it kind of thing i'm I'm going to crack on quickly with it with the kind of synopsis here um they then bring in um i can't remember if they bring matthew in first basically they can offer her to matthew and he says no he doesn't want to do it kind of thing you know and then they make him hold her leg um, I'm not sure if that's before the first guy rapes her or if it's if it was after kind of thing. Um, yeah, in fact, I can't, aha, sorry. They offer it to Matthew first and then the gas guy rapes her and Matthew says no. Um, they then try, they continue to try to make him rape her kind of thing, but he doesn't, and he kind of goes to help her at one point. He's kind of frightened for her kind of thing. And it's, you feel kind of sorry for him at this point because this has kind of almost been done in his name. Um, and he clearly isn't comfortable with it and probably doesn't really understand what's going on kind of thing. So he tries to help her anyway, she kind of runs off naked into the woods. And I've got to say again, at this point, I was thinking, right, well, it wasn't the worst thing in the world, do you know what I mean? It, it's not fucking pleasant to watch and it's not a nice thing yeah. to have to think about, obviously, but it wasn't that horrendous. Uh, well, sorry, it is. I, I don't mean to belittle. I know what I know. I know what you, you know mean. What I, mean? I know what you mean. I know what you um, mean. Yeah. I, everyone, everyone that listens to this episode will know what you mean. That uh, I've, I've, I went through the same hurdles when we were talking about undoing the nasty. Um, we're at no point saying that the subject matter of someone being raped is no big deal. Or no, no, God, no, not like at all. It's, it's a horrific thing. Yes. What we're talking about here is the the actual effectiveness of the the ability of the movie to hold up and shock still yeah. with the way it is shot. Yeah, the depiction which of it, is, if you like. Which is completely different. Um, yeah, so she, she runs off now. Obviously, she's completely naked by this point. Um, she's covered in muck and all that off the ground. Um, and I've actually put in my nose here that there's points where she's in a kind of almost swamp-like kind of area. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it, it looks like it's the deep south, but I know for a fact she came from New York, so I'm not sure how far. So it doesn't really matter. Um, but she's in a kind of almost like bayou type kind of area, um, and her her walk back is actually in itself quite harrowing because obviously she's barefoot, she's completely naked, she's no protection against what she's walking on and stuff like that, and obviously she's you know she's in a hell of a fucking state because of what's just happened to her kind of thing, and that bit. I actually almost found more harrowing than the rape scene, to be quite honest. Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. you, you know, you could... She, the acting in this film is not great, mm-hmm. but the girl, Keaton, who plays the character of Jennifer, is the best out of the lot of them, I've yes, got agreed. to say. Um, and particularly in this scene, when she's on her own, um, and she, I think she really nails this kind of portrayal, you know, this the bleak kind of hopeless desperation of her situation that she's willing to run through this really unfriendly wilderness completely fucking naked because of what's just happened to her. It was so bad that this is better. You know, the, 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 this travelling through this in this state is a better fucking option than going back to what she's just come from. And she really gets that across and it's one of the few genuinely powerful pieces of acting in the film, I felt anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but... She then, I don't know whether she walks in a circle or whether they've kind of fucking looked around on her or something, but anyway, she ends up walking into them again, essentially. There's a kind of rather odd bit with a harmonica. Um, You hear this harmonica playing, and at first I couldn't figure out whether this was a piece of the score or whether uh, she was hearing it as well. But it turns out she is one of them. The guy with the braces is sitting playing a fucking harmonica in the woods. Um... And I found this bit with the harmonica quite odd. It's very loud. Again, the sound production's quite bad, and it becomes almost deafening, this fucking harmonica. But I'm thinking, if you've just been fucking raped and you hear this, wouldn't you fucking go the other way? Do you know what I mean? Um, anyway, I'm, I'm maybe picking holes. Coming. So anyway, they, um, she ends up walking back into them, and she then gets raped again. And I've got to say, this rape scene was worse than the first yeah. She's basically held kind of face down over this rock and kind of spread eagled. Um, and another one of them has their way with kind of thing on, on this rock. And this bit, she's almost kind of suspended over the rock by them holding her, you know, and she's screaming at the camera and that. And that was the depiction of this particular rape I felt was far worse. It was the worst out of all of them, in fact. There are more to come, unfortunately. Um, but this, to me, was the worst to watch. Um, it, it is a genuinely uncomfortable watch, despite the acting and, and the age of the film and stuff like that. Um, that's on her part. The guy who's raping her, it's to say that his portrayal is over the top is a fucking gross understatement. Um, to the point that it almost becomes ridiculous and that, that girl is acting her fucking heart out. It can't be nice for her having to act this. Do you know what I mean? Being the situation, you know, alright, she's an actress, she knows it's not real, but she's fucking buck naked. She's been held over a fucking rock and this guy obviously wasn't actually raping her, but he was behind her, you know. And she's acting her fucking heart out and he does this completely over the top, throwing himself backwards and forwards type thing and I'm like, you're a really bad fucking actor, son. A mm-hmm. really, really bad fucking actor. Um, 
So right, so she's right there for a second time by a different one of them this time, and then they leave and they take her boat away and they kind of throw her bikini into the lake. At first, I thought it was to make it look like she drowned, but I, I'm not convinced. I think it was maybe just a almost a kind of childish humiliation. Mm-hmm. You know, that way you've stolen somebody's jumper and you throw it in a puddle, you know, just like a bullying type thing. Um, I think looking back, it was probably more like that. And th- there is, obviously, there's the very kind of physical side of this, the rapes, but th- there is quite a lot of attention paid to this sort of the humiliation and degra- not degradation, that's not, the humiliation type side yeah. of it, you know, the belittling of her, even, even out with the physical rapes, you know, they laugh at her constantly. Um, you know they mock her during during the whole thing, um, and that was probably for me the the one kind of jarring thing. You know, there there's no sense at, apart from Matthew. There's no sense at all that they're doing anything wrong, and they're just having a bit of a laugh here and a bit of fun. That's the way it's portrayed. Do you know, and and that is quite shocking. Um, probably more so than the actual depictions of the physical rape. It's more this. You know, they're they're just having a bit of a laugh here, um, mm-hmm. and that is obviously horrifying. You know, to watch kind of thing. You know, yeah. Um. So she then somehow manages to make her way back to the house, and she's kind of crawling through the house, and she's getting to try. She manages to get to her phone, and she just starts to dial it, and the phone gets kicked out of her hand. And I will admit, I jumped at that. Yeah. I wasn't expecting that at all. They're in the house. I kind of figured that was it in terms of the actual rapes, and I thought we well, were going to move into the sort of second half of the film, if you like, the kind of revenge part. Yeah. But there isn't, there's another quite extended scene. Um, and, and I wasn't expecting him to be in the house, and when he kicks the phone out of hand, there's a slight shadow movement at the right of the screen, and I kind of looked, and what, what the fuck? And then the next thing, it gets kicked. But of course, they kick this old-fashioned phone, which makes a ringing noise, and it, that mm-hmm. it'd give me a fucking hell of a fright, I've got to say. Um, she kind of tries to fight them off and fails. And again, at this point, there's a lot of this kind of mockery of her, um, you know, of her kind of pathetic attempts, if you like, to, to prevent them kind of thing. Um... And they, they, they managed on this occasion to go with Matthew into raping her. Um, but he stops kind of halfway through. He says he can't come um, mm-hmm. with people watching him and all that. And, and the boy is, I, th- I think, still very uncomfortable with what's happening, but he has joined in by this point, you know. Um, and they sit about and they're kind of getting drunk um, and they're mocking her basically the whole day. And, and I've written here that the, the acting at this point is fucking atrocious. Yeah, yeah. Particularly from the guys, the acting is just dreadful. Um, the there's then one of the other kind of few scenes that did upset me. The the fourth one, the one who's not raped her yet, um, he then decides he's having a turn, um, and she's kind of begging, and she basically says that I'm hurt, and she means, you know, in her genitals. Yeah. Um, she's been hurt with the previous rapes. Um, and she offers to do it with her hand and she's almost kind of begging saying you know you'll enjoy it i promise i'll do it nice kind of thing you know um that i found quite harrowing yeah you know that you've just she's just given in you know and and again this is not any kind of criticism of what somebody would do in this situation but you know it's this idea that she's just given in 
Um, and it, she's just trying to limit what is happening to her. She's, you know, she's accepting that this is just going to fucking happen to her now, and she's just trying to limit it as much as she can. And that is quite harrowing, I've got to say. Um, the guy basically beats her up, and they, they all leave. Um, then the kind of ringleader, the, the gas attendant guy, he basically sends Matthew back to kill her. They get down to the fucking water's edge, and the penny drops with these fucking geniuses that they've, obviously they've gang raped this fucking girl. She's probably going to fucking phone the cops. Yeah. Um, so they need to get rid of her. And the gas attendant guy obviously turns on Matthew, who's, you know, he's maybe not got the mental faculties to argue against it, and they can kind of control him, if you like, uh, bully him. And they send him back to the house. Um, Jennifer, she's unconscious when he enters the house, kind of thing, and he's got this knife. But he can't do it. Um, and but he kind of rubs. Blood, some of her blood onto the blade to make it look like he stabbed her and he runs back out and tells them they killed her real good and all this kind of stuff, you know. Um, sorry, I'm just having a little drink there to wet my whistle. Um, <laughs> that does that ends the, 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 the rape portion, if you like, of this film. So everything that happened to her has happened now. Um, we see... There's a scene, you know, she's in the shower just trying to clean herself off and stuff like that. Um, we see her wandering about. And uh, they're fairly condensed short scenes. Um, you know, you see her start to write again and she finds her boat again. Um, but we then find out shortly after this that two weeks has elapsed. So she has had a couple of weeks to sort of recover from this ordeal. Um, so two weeks later, so the four of them are at the diner. Um, and they kind of don't understand why, you know, there's been no mention of a body being found. Because obviously yeah. they're under the impression that Matthew killed her. So it's a small town. Um, you know, if a body had been found in a house, we're digging to get round kind of thing. Uh, two of them go back to the house to see what's going on and they see her sitting in the garden writing, basically. So they then go back, so then they all kick the shit out of Matthew. They realise that he lied and they kick the crap out. Um... We then see Jennifer, she goes and gets the gun and she heads out in the car um, and she's spying on them at this point. So she starts off with the, the lead guy, the gas attendant guy. Um, and we find out at this point that he's actually married with children, this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, she then moves on. Matthew's out delivering his groceries, so she places an order um, for a delivery. Uh, he realises, Matthew realises what's happening and he's utterly fucking terrified so he takes a knife with him um, and he arrives at the house and she's in the garden and she's dressed in this kind of long flowing virginal white kind of night dress type thing mm-hmm. like something like a cult almost, it's kind of odd looking um, and she kind of lures him into the woods and basically seduces him uh, you know, saying that you know I would have had a, given you a great summer and all this. You know, implying that I would have slept with you anyway. You didn't need to get them to do this to me, kind of thing. You know, she's remarkably yeah. calm through all of this. Um, and they end up having sex, kind of thing. But halfway through it, she slips this noose over his head and hangs him. Mm-hmm. So the noose can hang looped over a tree. They're doing it at the water's edge. It's so. This is the first revenge scene. It's pretty ridiculous. I've got to say, um, 
you know, the the ease at with which all right, I appreciate, you know, the, the character of Matthew, he has sort of learning difficulties or whatever, right? So he's, he's not the cleverest wee guy. Um but the ease with which she seduced him. Do you know what I mean? One, surely the victim would have struggled to be able to do that, and two, surely he would have gone like, no, 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 you're up to something. Do you know what I mean? But it's, more than that, it's the fact that she gets him with this rope, and then basically she manages to fucking heave this fully grown man right up from a prone position while she's lying down and basically lynch him. Um, she's not the biggest lassie in the world, you know what I mean? She's a wee slippy, I think. Um, so, yeah, I, I found that pretty ridiculous that she was able to lynch him. But that that's what she does. So that's the first one down kind of thing. Um, she then heads off after the the gas station guy, um, who's obviously the kind of ringleader in all of this. Um and she's using this kind of seduction technique again. This is her fucking modus operandi at this point. Um, the sorry, I've kind of lost my place in my notes. Where are we? She's in the garden. Yeah, yeah. Turns up at the gas station, seduces the gas guy. Um, she pulls a dash right. Yeah, she pulls a gun on him, and she kind of makes him strip off. And you think. She's just going to fucking execute him mm-hmm. out in the woods here kind of thing, you know. And he starts this, he's obviously talking frantically, trying to talk around, if you like. And he basically casts the blame on her. As, you know, you turn up with your skirt on and your high heels, you know, and you talk to me and all that. And <laughs> I found this really uncomfortable because it was this real 70s fucking attitude it was a very misogynistic time. I was only a child, but I can remember the TV of the time and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? And it is this, you know, you were asking for it. Yeah. You know, you're pretty and you were dressed nice and kind of, not even particularly provocatively. It was the 70s, let's be honest. But, um, you know, you, you were flirty. So, really, what do you expect four guys to do but hunt you down in the woods and fucking gang rape you? You know, and... That's very uncomfortable. I found that mm-hmm. very uncomfortable. Um, particularly with, maybe some of our American listeners won't get this, but there's been a lot of stuff in the past couple of years in this country about abuse during the 1970s. Um, yeah. And I, I referenced this earlier on, but we've found in the past, you know, a lot of television personalities, sports personalities, politicians have turned out to be fucking serial rapists and child abusers. And when the, you know details of the court cases and stuff have come out you know that the police you know they're almost saying oh you're just a silly wee girl he's on the telly he never did that to you and you know and, and other equally horrendous fucking things and it pointed to this general uh kind of attitude towards women and sexual violence in this period and to me this bit where he argues her round, or appears to argue her round and convince her that it's actually her fault, is the most indicative bit of that. More mm-hmm. so than the actual rapes that you see. It's this bit, I mean, come on, you know, you, you can't walk about dressed like that and flirting with guys and not expect to get fucking gang raped. That, to me, hit the nail on the head, right? Yeah. Like, that's what was wrong with this fucking decade and these attitudes. 
Do you know what I mean? That that drove it home more for me. Anyway, she appears to get taken under this spell, if you like, um, and he takes the gun away from her. <laughs> I don't know. You've got to figure out. One, he wanted her dead. Two, she's just been pointing a gun at him. You would have think he would have fucking shot her by this point, but he doesn't. They go back to the house for a bath. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get this sort of seduction thing happening again. She's in the bathroom. She's playing with him and all this kind of stuff. But she has a knife hidden and she basically castrates him in the bath. Mm-hmm. Um, again, what could have been a very horrifying scene, I think, was let down by very poor acting. Um, you don't. It's done in a bath, so you don't need any gory special effects to get the impression of what she's done. In fact, there's some blood spurting that happens that's actually very effective. But just the acting, I thought, really let this bit down. Um, so we're now down to two the, the, the two fucking boat morons from earlier on. Um, they come out of the house in the boat. Uh, one of them goes ashore. Um, she manages to knock the other one out in the boat. Um, or sorry, knocks him out of the boat into the water. Um, during the course of this, an axe falls into her boat, which she uses to kill one of them in the water. And then she basically starts buzzing around the other guy in the water. He's begging for his life, thinks he's fucking convinced her, and tries to climb into the boat by grabbing onto the fucking outboard motor. Mm. We all know what's going to fucking happen here, son, so she turns the outboard on. That kills him. There's some mere shite acting, and she basically sails off into the credits. So the, the the kill of the last two was actually very quick. About three, there's a scene about three or four minutes where the last two die in very quick succession, kind of thing. Uh, I thought the ending was pretty shite. I've got to say. <laughs> um, overall feelings on this film, I did not enjoy the film. Um, it's far too dated for my tastes. I've got mm-hmm. to say, um, and. In the footballing parlance, I believe you've scored an own goal, Duncan. Oh! I believe your powerful defensive header actually slipped through the legs of your own goalkeeper, losing your team the match. Because I think, had you given me the remake, I might have struggled with it. I, yeah, because there is a reason that I didn't give you the remake, though. Okay, okay, well, talk about what I'm saying. I, I just... The premise behind this film is one that I'm very uncomfortable with. Like I say, I don't like depictions of child molestation in a film. Rape either. Um, you know, particularly fucking brutal kind of gang rape. It, it's not something that I'm comfortable with at all. I think when I see things like that, either, you know, scenes with kids or, or rape, I transpose my own family into it. Mm-hmm. So suddenly you start thinking of this happening to your daughter or that happening to your wife, you know, and these films can have quite an effect on me, but I think all of this was negated by the terrible acting for a lot of this film. Um, and I think, I've not seen the remake, so I don't know what road to go down. I did, while I was looking something up on the internet the other night, I did see a, a poster for it. Um, and it was put across as, you know, more brutal than hostile or something like that. Yeah, which makes me think they maybe went down a kind of torture porn route. At, they do, you know, and maybe in the second half of the film or something like that. Even the rape scenes in this film lacked menace for me, just because of 
the, the poor acting. Uh, you don't need to show graphic rape, but you need to act it well, film it well, film it cleverly to, uh, you know, hit the viewer in the face with the, the brutality of the situation kind of thing. And they, they just failed to do that. I can appreciate how this would have been controversial in its day. Um, I mean, 1978, I, you know, I was watching Star Wars at that time. Do you know what I mean? So something like this, I could see how far out of the box this film is compared to, you know, the majority of other stuff that was around about that time. Um, I just can't get by the very poor acting, particularly by the male characters in it. Uh, I don't want to slag off the girl Keaton too much because she does have her moments in this film. Um, despite some rather low, ropey fucking dialogue and plot lines. Um, but the guys really fucking killed it for me. Um, of course, it highlights the, the issue of, you know, sexual violence, and in particular violence, you know, male violence towards women. Um, which obviously was the point of this film. And to that extent, you have to say it's quite a brave thing to do. You know, that yes, I, th I would imagine this film was made to shock, but I, I think at least there's a morality behind it or, or you know, an attempt at a lesson in morality. Um, and as I say, it was interesting to see the, this kind of 70s attitude again. Um, you know, this very kind of misogynistic attitude and stuff like that. So, yeah. I don't see me rushing back to watch the film again. Um, I'm probably kind of interested to see the follow-up. Eh, not the follow-up, sorry, the remake. Um, I don't know if I would return to this one again. Um, yeah, I just didn't enjoy it. But it, it didn't have the impact on me I thought it was going to. Right, right. Um, the reason I didn't pick the remake is that... I think the remake's awful. <laughs> All right, right, okay. Um, Why so? Because this, to me, isn't the, the this first and foremost is a rape revenge movie, and like I say, this was a fairly big subgenre in the seventies. Okay. And this, to be honest, is one of the this is one of the ones on the way out of that decade. So it's one of the kind of last ones that really came out in the seventies. So. That there are other ones within that decade which certainly were more kind of more action, less exploitation. Well, they're all exploitation, but maybe more action based and and whatnot. Better acting, you know, be, you know, better effects and things. This movie is a cheap movie. It's made very, very, very cheaply. Uh -huh. um, it was shot over a very quick period of time. Um, the the main woman in it was married to the director so that's how she got cast okay. um the other people got cast i don't i don't know how they got cast other than Names probably, in a hat, i would imagine Duncan. i think they probably look quite quite backwards if you know what i mean yeah um, a bit looking. <laughs> yeah and and that's kind of why they were put in there and they fall into a particular stereotype of acting from the 70s and even through the 80s i mean uh, there is a there is a, a a kind of stereotyped image of what hillbilly hicks are like, and this movie certainly plays to the most caricature version of that that particular 
stereotype and they yeah, all fall into Deliverance would have been round about this time as well, wasn't it? Yeah, de- Deliverance was, and Deliverance is obviously on the other side yeah, <laughs> of, of the coin. Awesome, yeah. um, and even Deliverance, the, the acting of the, the the hillbillies in that movie isn't great. Mm-hmm. It isn't, isn't great at all. Better than this by quite a bit, but isn't isn't great either. And it, it kind of falls into that. Um, and, I mean, I've never judged this movie on its acting because... It was never going to have great acting. It's an exploitation movie. Um, Exploitation movies have the name exploitation because that's what they are. They're exploitative of a subject matter, usually made very cheap and usually with pretty poor acting. Where they transcend over is the subject matter. And if the subject matter is handled in a particular way, you know, they can be incredibly effective. Um, If you look at something like Last House on the Left... Uh, which we've spoken about before, Wes Craven's first movie, which has a rape sequence in it, which I don't think is as graphic or horrific as this, and the revenge sequences in that movie are probably goofier than in this movie. But the idea of what actually happens in that movie, to me, is is quite upsetting. And the idea of what happens in this movie, to me, is quite upsetting as well. I mean, the, the, the repeated rape of a character, even though it is handled... And shot poorly. Um, the way her reaction, like the the kind of post traumatic stress disorder she has after the first one, which ultimately makes her easy to either track down or walk back into the group of people again. Um, you know that it's like you say it kind of sticks with you that she's she's in she's like in a numbed shock, and because of being in that numb shock and ending up back where she is she's raped worse than the first time and that the, the most terrific thing for me is the, the sequence where she offers her hand I think that the, yeah. the, the connotations of what that kind of springs up of her being so so torn up physically and mentally that you know to, to get this orde- or, ordeal over and done with she will she will offer to please the guy, and you know, in a way which you know is gratifying to him, but humiliating to herself. Um, and the humiliation throughout the movie is, is quite uncomfortable for me to watch. Mm-hmm. And yes, I have no doubts in my mind that if you watch the sequel, uh, the sorry, not the sequel, the the remake, the remake will be more impetuous to you because it is better shot. Um, it is more graphic. It's a torture porn movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so they take. To me, all the psychology of this movie is removed in the remake, and what you get is a very glossy, very effects-heavy driven torture porn movie, and there's no soul behind it at all. Um, And when I watch this movie, I see a filmmaker trying to do something, you know, trying trying to make his stamp although it's in an exploitative way, make his stamp on history, and this movie did that. The remake to me is someone cashing in and capitalising on a genre. It's like, oh, we need to make torture porns in just now, we need to make a torture porn movie. Um, or we'll do a remake, because remakes are in the 2000s. What one can we convert into that? It's I Spit in Your Grave. Um, yeah, it's kind of easy to you You don't have to do that much you just up what happens to the people Uh in the movie Um, everyone's a bit too attractive looking in the remake for me 
um, as well. I, I've, I have issues with that. I think one of the things that makes this movie the original uh, more poignant to me is how grubby and dirty and yeah, they're quite repelling. The male, the male characters are yeah. quite repelling. Yeah, and I, that that can that works for me as well. I know, like Andy, that does doing the nasty with me. He loves the remake. He thinks he doesn't have the same issues I have with it, with the remake. And yeah, I think if you'd watched it, but I think if you'd watched the remake, which aims heavily on gore, you would have walked that as well. Right. Because the psychology's gone. Ah, uh, see, right. And that that's I, why I, that's why I possibly didn't. a better executed version of this yeah. idea would yeah. have probably fucked me up quite badly but if you're saying it actually loses that side of it then yeah you're probably right yeah it loses to me to me certainly it loses that side of things and what it aims for is gore and shock yeah. and what we have realised with you Baz is gore and shock has no effect on you so when yeah. picking between the two movies I have to opt for the original and I never thought that the original was going to be overly difficult for you. I mean, I can watch this movie, I just don't like watching it. Yeah. Um, I appreciate its position in history and its importance, but, it, you know, it's it's a movie that I put down after watching and say, well, I'll probably never watch that movie again. Um, yeah. yeah. There, is a, there is a movie on the list of unsettling movies. This is this is the benchmark movie for me to gauge your feeling on, on rape in movies. And there is a movie further down this list that makes makes everything that happened in this movie seem incredibly tame, and yeah. you're going to suffer with that one. And this was this was, to me was a gauging pole. I genuinely feel that you should walk both movies um, in this bracket. Uh, that this this particular episode. This is me just kind of marking out the 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 tent pole of where I think. Um, Try to get a baseline for Baz here. Really, baseline mm-hmm. for Baz. There's a band uh, for you. <laughs> baseline for Baz. Um, I, like I say, it, to, to me, the movie is is only really effective in that it makes me. You know how you're talking about you superimpose family members into those scenarios. Uh-huh. I'm the same, right. and I've always been the same with that. I was kind of thinking if I had a sister, would you know how? how if she was in that scenario, how would I feel? You know mm-hmm. these sort of things. It, it gets it gets under my skin. It's not a very well made movie. It's shot really cheaply by a guy who's kind of really trying to work out how to shoot his craft. The acting is awful. Um, but like I say, it serves it serves a it serves a purpose for me on some level. And that this is one of the more notorious video nasties. Um, just because it was used a lot in, in campaigning against uh, the movies overall, but because this one of all of them has a prolific rape scene in it, which very few movie movies have um, a rape sequ- or a collection of rape sequences which span out almost half a movie. Mm-hmm. As as in total, I think Andy worked it out in total. There's over twenty minutes of rape in this movie. Um, right. If you cut out all the bits in between, and that's yeah. that's pretty fucking horrific. Regardless how well they shoot it or not, the idea of and that's why the movie's classed as exploitation because that's mm. what it aims for. Mm-hmm. Rape revenge is exploitation sort of cinema. Um, so yeah, I, I, like I say, I, I there was a reason I never chose the remake. I would say from your point of view, not that I think for one second you should check it out because I don't like giving any attention to the remake at all to me this is a very big tick in your box of movies you've watched now Mm -hmm. Um, this movie 
was second only to Cannibal Holocaust <laughs> um, on the video nasties list. Right. What, so Cannibal in, in Holocaust. In terms of the worst films type thing. Yeah. All right. So I've done in the top of, two, have I? Yeah. In terms of notorious reputation, um, the next one on the list is probably Last House on the Left. Um, which, like I say, I think you would probably get through just as well as you got through this one. I don't think I don't think they're as when you look at them from a different point of view. When you look at them less, when you're looking at them less from the point of view of what the benchmarks of a good movie are in terms of good acting, good score, sound design, camera angles, lighting, and all the rest, and you take it down to subject matter, they don't make movies like this anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a reason they don't make movies like this anymore because um, they're pretty fucking horrific yeah so yeah um, yeah I, I, like I say it doesn't it doesn't surprise me it doesn't surprise me at all um, anything else you want to say about the movie before I ask you your question uh, no I don't think so I think I'm done talking about this to be honest Awesome, awesome, Barry. Let's say, let's you. That's right, Barry. That's <laughs> my name. Sunday name today, sir. So, Sunday name. When you're talking about a movie that has this much rate, but Sunday names only. Um, <laughs> yes. So the question I need to ask you, uh, for those that are new, this is a question to be asked at the end of every movie. Um, in the immortal pantheon, Baz, the battle on the stage, the stage of battle. In this competition, who won, Baz or Halloween? Uh, in the case of I spit on your grave, Duncan, I've got to say that the Baz won first blood to the Baz. Oh, Baz takes first blood. Um, I bet you feel confident now. Oh, I'm full of piss and vinegar now, big man. <laughs> Actually, I'm, I'm full of half a bottle of Rioja, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm quite pleased, I've got to say. I like to come out the traps early with a wee win. Yeah. Get me up for the rest of the campaign. Okay, dokie then. Uh, let's let's continue our look. Uh, our second movie review that we'll be doing in this show is the last broadcast. Um, widely considered um, the kind of origins of the revival of found footage, um, although it's pretty much most people haven't seen it. They know a movie that came out six months later called The Blair Witch Project which stole its thunder completely. We're going to take a very short break just now. We're going to recalibrate and compose ourselves. You're going to hear some promos for shows that I love. You're going to hear the trailer for our second movie review, which is the last broadcast. When we return, we will be discussing that movie right after this. You're listening to the podcast under the stairs 72 movies that shocked a nation and made an infamous list the video nasties hi i'm duncan mcleish and you can join me and my co-host andy blockley as we chat about the 72 films reviewing them all from the video nasty list live on our podcast tell them about andy okay 1982 20,000 films were seized in London alone because they were too nasty to be watched. Come and find out why. That's right. The show's called Doing the Nasty Podcast. You can find it exclusively on the Horrorphilia Network of Podcasts. Come and check us out.
I'd come to this project with many of the same assumptions that you have. Concerning the Jersey Devil murders, and the guilt of Jim Seward. His characterization as a troubled young man responsible for a spree of horrific, ritualistic homicides. What really happened that night? And is Jim Seward truly responsible? Most people, when they commit a crime, aren't being videotaped, like, you know, when they're doing it, or, like, near the time when they're doing it. It was like spying in on, on this crime about to happen. No one else had the opportunity to commit those murders except for Mr. Jim Seward. I feel weird about it. Yeah, I know, me too. I, this whole idea to come out into the woods and stuff. You know, suddenly they want to jump into doing, you know, big time live, you know, from the Pine Barrens and have radio and internet and this and that. And, uh, you know, I, I knew it was going to be a fiasco. I, I, I didn't really think it was going to end up like it did, but I knew it wasn't going to look pretty. The attacker was using both hands with two weapons and was ambidextrous. Two separate instruments were driven into the victims at the same time. I think to anybody, if you found 47 pieces of a, of a human being or human beings, it would be very disturbing. The whole thing reeks of a setup. More, more went down than, than we know. Jim's an innocent man, and this was not investigated in any way, shape, or form. The one thing about this with, uh, you know, this guy Jim, uh, you know, the case they built up against him, it was all circumstantial. They didn't have any actual evidence that he did this, but, uh, I mean, he was the only one there. Also, if he's an innocent man, there's a killer on the loose. As they said on Fact or Fiction, you decide. Welcome back. So, this is the second movie review of this first episode in the 2015 run of Baz v Halloween. We're now tackling the main features. The main features on this season's run of shows are found footage, very similar to the Paranormal Activity series we did. However, these are found footage movies that I have picked that I think are almost required viewing for the Baz. So the Baz has uh, dusted himself off from our first movie review. He has recalibrated himself into his optimum reviewing position in front of the mic. And you've just heard the trailer for the movie review that we're going to be tackling on this very first episode. It's the last broadcast from 1998. Baz, let me give you some information on this movie. It's written and directed by Stefan Avalos and Lance Wheeler. Um, the movie stars both Stefan Avalos and Lance Wheeler as Stephen Adcast and Lucas Wheeler. Slight changes in the names. Um, the movie also stars David Beard, Jim Seward and Rain Clabbers. There are um, a multitude of other people um, in this movie, but because it's like found footage and stuff like that, they're not exactly established, well-known actors. Now, earlier on, I took a look at some of the synopsises on a uh, synopsis I I don't know <laughs> what's the plural for synops just synopsis synopsis 
synopses. Thank you very much, sir. Um, on Amazon, uh, sorry, on IMDb, and um, they were all pretty shit. However, I did find one which is a bit more in keeping with the film. So. <clears throat> Let me give you the synopsis. Presented as a documentary and using the footage of the victims to show the events as they happened, the tale follows a documentary filmmaker's investigation into the mysterious murders of three would-be television personalities in the lonely Pine Barrens of New Jersey and the purported guilt or innocence of a man later arrested and convicted of the slayings. Now, Baz. Duncan. Oh, the last broadcast, of all the ones on the list of the found footage movies, this one kind of put the willies up you, which for our American listeners doesn't sound as, <laughs> it shouldn't sound as nasty as it came out there. Basically what that means is it gave them the heebie-jeebies, uh, which I've, I've suddenly realised might not be an American term either. <laughs> uh, it, it gave Let's him the icy, fingers, <laughs> the icy fingers down his back, almost as if someone was walking over his grave. Um, so, uh, yeah, this one kind of, before we even got to talk about this one, kind of got under the skin of the bars. Can you tell us why this film in particular? Um, yeah, I'd actually I'd had come across this film before, Duncan. I've not seen it, but... Um, I came across it on Amazon originally. Um, I, I think it was when I was on buying my copy of the Blair Witch Project for uh, the previous episode of Baz V Horror that we'd done, and um, it was listed there as you know customers who bought the Blair Witch Project also bought these films, and this one was sitting there the last broadcast, and I kind of clicked on it just to have a look kind of thing, and it, it kind of intrigued me, but I also became aware that it was sort of billed as this, you know. The bigger, badder, scarier Blair Witch story—the one that was there first, you know, type idea—and yeah. um, I think that's a bit unfair towards this film, to be honest. But yeah, it—it it was also of the ten films that we've got lined up for Basby Halloween. It's the one that I'm looking forward to the most to watching. All right. Um, but yeah, it was with quite a lot of trepidation because the Blair Witch scared the heebie-jeebies out me, kind of thing. And yeah, yeah. this one's put across as like a kind of harder edged Blair Witch and like, oh, fuck me. So yeah, so I was I was a bit worried about this one. Yeah, it's, it's exactly it's exactly like I've said many times before on many different shows, including this one. The last broadcast is that movie that people just forget just because of the time it was released. Blair Witch Project became like huge, like absolutely. I don't think I think sometimes people forget how big that movie became and the last broadcast just came out a wee bit too early if it come out a couple of months after i think the movie would be far more popular and people would have been more aware of it it's just one of those ones that seems to have been lost in annals of time it's not even out in blu-ray you can't even buy it on blu-ray i don't think it ever will be out in blu-ray which is a bit of a shame however baz i think we've teased teased our listeners (laughs) so much they want to know what you made of the last broadcast so baz i will ask you on this first episode of Basri Halloween in 2015, please tell us what you made of 1998's The Last Broadcast. Fucking found footage, eh? Here we go. 
we all know, we all know how much the Baz loves a fucking fight film. You brought it upon yourself. I know. Right, you've been you've been Barry Big Boss recently. We are ah these Nightmare on Elm Street movies aren't they bad? Ah oh, these Freddy, you know these Jason movies haven't they been all that bad? Uh, you know I, I I walked right through Switchblade Romance. That wasn't all that bad. Oh this Exorcism of Emily Rose wasn't all that scary. You have brought this upon yourself. You will be punished for five weeks starting this week. All right, okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so as you say, Duncan, first up in the in the found footage category, the main category this year of Baz v Halloween, we've got found footage. And first up is the last broadcast. And as we've just said, this was a film that is quite often portrayed as being this kind of the original Blair Witch type idea. And actually, I'm sitting here, I'm looking at my DVD copy, and, um, you know, it's got the title of it and all that, obviously, and then... Uh, up the top it says incredibly creepy don't see it alone but there's a, a quote on the cover of the dvd from indiewire which i don't know if it's a website or a magazine or something but the quote and this is the quote that they've had to use for the cover of their product may have influenced blair witch it certainly preceded it that's actually what it fucking says on the cover of this film oh <laughs> right how, endorsement how bad there. is that do you know what i mean you need to stay on the blair witch <laughs> was it first though? <laughs> fucking dreadful. Anyway, unperturbed by that, I decided to push on because I am holding out for this film. I think this film is going to be a belter, you know. Anyway, the last broadcast. Um, the general premise of this film is it's this film is essentially a fake documentary about a documentary. Um, it's about something that are called the Jersey Devil Murders. Now, a lot of people will probably be familiar with this Jersey Devil. It's one of these mythical kind of monsters like Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster or the Abominable yeah. Snowman or whatever. Um, and it's believed to live in the, the the wooded areas of New Jersey, which have now come to be known as the, the Pine Barrens, these very kind of bleak, open pine forests in New Jersey, which rather interestingly I did, I was aware of because of a very famous episode of The Sopranos called Pine Barrens. Yeah, yeah, it's a brilliant episode as well. Yeah, it's, it's generally regarded as one of the best of the, that, that show. Um, so essentially what we have is there is a, a cable access TV show, so this is obviously, it was made and kind of set in the days before YouTube, where every fucking moron like you or I can record stuff. That, <laughs> or fucking stick out a podcast or something and cable access television was not something that we ever had here in Britain to the best mm-hmm. of my knowledge um, but I know it was quite a big thing in America and of course most folk will be familiar with it or most British folk will be familiar with it through the Wayne's World films because that was yeah. supposed to be a cable access show anyway this show um, is called Fact or Fiction and it's these two very poor fucking presenters um, and, and they kind of look at um, you know mysterious goings on and UFO sightings and all this type of stuff um, and these are the two characters Stephen and Locus um, and they are trying to boost the ratings of the flagging show they decide that they're going to film a show in the Pine Barrens they're going to go into the woods and look for this Jersey Devil they go and do that with two other guys and basically only one of them comes out alive. Uh-huh. Two out of the other three are found butchered, absolutely fucking butchered and, one, and another one is never ever found kind of thing. And the blame gets focused on this one surviving member of the party kind of thing. 
What we are seeing, however, is uh, another documentary film made about this. Mm-hmm. It's uh, this character, uh, David Beard or David Lee. I'm not yeah, sure. It's David Lee in the movie. David yeah. Lee is in the movie, right? So he is a documentary filmmaker who is making a film about what happened to these people. Um, so it opens, the film itself opens with this kind of director's message from this David Lee character um, talking about it and it kind of seeds into a recorded 911 phone call which is coming from this guy called uh, Jim Stewart who we find out is the, the one surviving member of this party. Now, at this point, at this very early point, I mean, we're about a minute into the film, and I'm thinking, right, it's the one guy that survived, obviously, he's going to be all fucking smashed up and delirious mm-hmm. and not sure what's going on kind of thing, you know, and he'll be, he'll be screaming frantically, you know, send police, send police, my friends have been killed. And it's not the, the situation at all, it's, it's a very kind of calm thing, you know, guys saying, basically, I've got lost, I can't find the guys in my party, and I've had to hike out from our camp about fucking five miles to get to this phone, you know, I've got a really bad feeling, can you send somebody kind of thing, you know. Not a panic 911 call at all. But this is the guy that they basically looked at for this. So you then get a bit of sort of background, you see, they discuss the fact or fiction show with these two presenters who, to be honest, at points don't even seem to, to like each other. Do you know what I mean? There seems yeah. to be a kind of a level of animosity. They're not bros from another hole like you and me, big man. <laughs> um, they, they don't seem to particularly like each other. The show is really pretty bad, and I think their minimal fucking viewing numbers are starting to plummet, kind of thing. And they open up the. One thing that's actually quite interesting in this film is it it puts an early take on the use of the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, because this cable access show, one of the things that they started using was this IRC, this uh, internet relay chat. These were the early kind of chat rooms that people used the kind of late 90s when the, the internet was really starting to become commonplace around the world. And these characters have decided that they're going to allow, you know, um, sort of viewers, you know, to, to send in messages via this IRC and stuff like that. But they also, they use this uh, piece of software that reads these messages out in a kind of Stephen Hawking-like kind of robot voice. Yeah. Oh, the voice is creepy as fuck. Yeah. And, and there's a bit that's skated over fairly early in the film, but it does can, come back to promise later on. And this idea for this Jersey Devil episode come in from a viewer, so it wasn't their idea. Somebody suggested this, why don't you do an episode about the Jersey Devil? I thought you were going to do the voice there. I was really looking forward to you going, why don't you do a show about the Jersey Devil? <laughs> why don't you do a show about the Jersey Devil? Your sounds far more... See, I would love to go and see the Jersey Devil after that. I feel like, yay, Jersey Devil! <laughs> That was my Howard from the Big Bang Theory. It was very good. Impersonating Stephen Hawking's impersonation there. Thank it you. It was very, very good. Yeah, I, I love it. I love it. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, David and, oh, sorry, Stephen and uh, Locus decide that they're going to go with this. It's not a bad idea. But to try and generate a bit of interest, they are going to essentially do like a live webcast. So they're now, and this is stuff we see all the time now. You know, yeah. user uh, participation in kind of live shows 
via the internet. It's every fucking TV show now you can get involved in to one level or another, you know what I mean? Um, or certainly any kind of live TV show you can nowadays. So it is quite interesting when you're watching this film, you know, it's almost a picture like where TV was starting to go. Um, so yeah, so they're going to do this kind of simultaneous webcast thing from the depths of the Pine Barrens in the middle of the night and all this. So they, they can't do it on their own, so they bring in a sound guy um, who, his name is spelled like Rain, as in a horse's rain, but I think it's yeah. pronounced Ryan. Yeah, Ryan Clacken, I think yeah. is what they call him in the, the show, yeah. Um, so they bring him in, he's like this sound guy, and also this guy, Jim Stewart, who we'd heard in the phone call at the start. And he's brought in because he claims to have psychic abilities, and he is like, going to be like their psychic guide in tracking down the the Jersey Devil once they're into the woods. Um, we see from the point of view of the documentary which we are watching, we, we get a lot of kind of background about Jim Stewart. He's a a real kind of loner. He's a bit of an oddball. His parents have died over the years. He, he lives on his own. He kind of rents a room off a woman and that. And um, everybody says yeah, he is a bit odd. Um, he also however, he has a background in magic tricks, you know, like mm -hmm. stage magicianship. Um, and it is stressed that actually he is very good at this. He does become very, very proficient all this stuff. Um, and there's a bit, when they first bring them together, there's this rather odd scene where he appears to have like a kind of epileptic fit that is induced psychically. Like he's got in touch with some fucking spirit plane and invokes this thing. And he's burning stuff and he rubs ash on his arm. Mm. Uh, and these numbers start to appear on his arm. And what these numbers actually are is the date that they are going to go into the Pine Barns. And it's fairly obvious that it's a kind of fucking stage trick, because you've, you've seen things like this before, like magicians yeah. Ash and stuff like that. Um, however, this becomes very prevalent later on, the fact that the, he had this date down prior to them going. This becomes quite important later on. Um, the... So I'm just I'm reading through my notes. My notes are fairly scattered. It's not an easy film to take on this actually. No, because it goes. Uh, I think the thing is, it gives you a bit of information, then it goes back to discuss something, then it comes back to the bit of information. Yeah, that's you've it. Already exactly. covered. It, it jumps about quite a lot because basically, pretty much at the start, we find out that Jim Stewart went to jail for this. Mm -hmm. So he was the only survivor. He was blamed for what happened to them in the woods, and he went to jail. We also find out very early on that he dies in jail in kind of rather mysterious circumstances. Yeah. Um, and again, this all comes back into play later on kind of thing. We get the kind of background on him, um, and they, they, they get together and they head off into the woods, basically. And we meet some other characters. Um, there's a guy who's doing the web work for them kind of thing. There's a, a guy who I think they call the Killer Cutter, and he yes. is a video technician. Um, basically, when they discovered the bodies and all that, which I'm going to come on in a minute, there was a lot of tape. They'd obviously, they'd been filming the whole journey kind of thing. And this guy was tasked with piecing together uh, you know, parts of these tapes to produce the prosecution's case mm. and, and his very slanted angle on this editing process is, is very important as well kind of thing. But basically, the, the four of them set off into the woods. Um, they, they park up, and it's beautiful scenery. It's very well shot. 
again though it it's all I, I think this film I think there's a lot of interest in this because of the way this film was actually filmed in real life yeah but it's Visually, it's very reminiscent of the Poughkeepsie tapes. In that, you know, it's a lot of kind of old, distorted video footage and stuff like that you're watching. It's not quite as bad as Poughkeepsie. I mean, there's parts of Poughkeepsie are borderline unwatchable. It's not yeah. as bad as that. I think that watching it this time for this show, because it's been like about a decade since I watched it, I was very much. And it's something that we mentioned when we were doing Poughkeepsie is the actual sound design. Uh huh. See the score, like the the way you know the the sound design and score that that is in this movie is incredibly unsettling at bits when nothing's happening. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's like listen, because I was listening, I watched it last night quite late in a dark room, which I recommend everyone do. Yeah. But I was wearing, um, I've got a pair of headphones which do digital seven point one surround sound. I thought you were going to say you were wearing assless chaps or something. I like was, that. I was also well, I was wearing assless chaps, obviously, <laughs> uh, and I was I was wearing my uh, seven point one surround sound headphones and I was like nothing was happening on the screen but certain things that were happening in the score I was actually the hairs on the back of my neck were standing up that's and creepy that, as fuck actually don't know. Yeah. I watched it in the dark on your recommendation I did watch this film in the dark yeah. um, and it, it was relatively late last night I don't. I don't think I could have done the headphones thing. Uh, yeah, it was. It was. It was. Uh, I. I genuinely. I started to get myself a wee bit creeped out because I ended up watching it just after midnight, um, and I was at that way where I was like, yeah, maybe we'll watch the rest tomorrow. I was like, oh come on, you know what happens in the movie anyway to power through. But yeah, I think there's more than just the one kind of comparison to Poughkeepsie and I had never even thought of these two movies in the same range but watching it last night I started to feel that way yeah. and I'm glad that that's you know it's not just me in this instance you felt similar yeah I mean to me this film is far more reminiscent of Poughkeepsie than it is to the Blair Witch mm-hmm. uh, realistically other than the fact that it's a group of guys going into a wood that's that's where the similarity ends because this isn't like uh, Blair Witch where no you literally see them going out of the woods and what happens to them at the fucking end and you know and it's just through them this isn't it, it's jumping backwards and forwards all the time interviews with people that were involved in the project interviews with police that were involved in the case you know the directors talking you know it, it's not just one long found footage stream of their journey yeah. through these woods it's a documentary absolutely yeah um so yeah so we, so we see them get into the woods um, they sort of drive in and then they start hiking and in, into the woods and Jim Stewart at this point <clears throat> he, he's taking the lead, he's the psychic, he's supposed to find them and he takes them you know like a good two three miles into this woods the other members of the party are starting to get pissed off him he doesn't really seem to know what he's doing he's just kind of mm-hmm. fucking making it up as you go along I mean it, it's fairly obvious to anybody that's watching it that he, the guy is a bit of a, he's a loon ball and he's clearly a bit of a fake do you know what I mean um, but there's a very kind of important scene. One of them, uh, I think it's the character of Ryan, the sound guy. He basically takes the piss out and calls him a name. And there's oh this, yeah, he says, "Are you a psychic or a, a psycho? psycho?" Yeah. And there's this really odd kind of. It's not a fight scene at all, but basically, Stuart kind of basically shoves him, and then runs off in an almost kind of childlike fashion. Oh, I'll see you guys at the camp. It really, it's like we would call it in this country spitting the dummy, like a baby yes. spitting their dummy out, you know. And he scampers away off into the woods, and they're like, oh, "What the fuck, man? Come on, we'll need to go and catch him." Mm. Um, and again, this gets focused on very heavily in these edited tapes. 
and it's this is where you know this gr- he's in there with a grudge he doesn't like them and all this and it, when you actually see it it's childlike you know it is yeah. like a little kid in a playground you know well I'm not playing anymore I'm taking my ball and I'm going kind of thing you know um, but again the prosecution use all this to try and build this picture of him as this fucking deranged psycho that they were stuck in the woods with kind of thing you know um, they're in the woods they set up their camp and so on and Again, you know, they set off, they're going to go out and look for the, there's bits of them filming in the woods, they're going to go and look for the Jersey Devil. The Stuart character, he, like I say, he's basically fallen out with them all, so he's just sat in another tent on the computer mm-hmm. um, the whole time in these chat rooms. The other three, that's Stephen, who's the kind of main, I think it's actually his show and Locus is like his friend who presents with him. Yeah. So he's the Duncan McLeish of this combo, Stephen. <laughs> Right. He decides he's uh, he wants to go into the woods a bit to try and pick up something. You know, they're, they're quite on board with it. It's a really creepy setting. They're thinking we can get a good show out of this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So he goes off. He doesn't come back, and then the other two set off to look for him kind of thing. He's got money invested in it as well. He's yeah. paid some big time, well, what we think is a big time until you actually see him in the interview, and he looks like a fairly washed up. Uh, guy that was involved with the industry. Yeah, the director guy and everything. Yeah. yeah. So he paid him out of his own pocket, and every this is basically make or break for his show. Yeah. So he really wants to make it kind of work, and he really wants to try and get something out of it. Lucas is kind of on board, but he's really he's got some kind of weird kind of man crush on Ryan, and the two of them just really enjoy having a laugh. So yeah. they're goofing around, but but Stephen's definitely the one that's like, we need to do this. So he ventures off into the woods to see if he can get some footage, footage yeah I mean Locus is very much, he's got the raw sexual magnetism and the, the comedy oh, persona he's, you know, he's the baz of the combo if you like <laughs> oh, how, did, you know how, I mean? how did I guess that's where that was going Baz? really the big swinging dick in this show you know what I mean anyway, <clears throat> so they set off and uh, through, you don't there's a, a, a lot made of it, they're recording everything Mm-hmm. And there, there's this point where he says, oh, I need to go and change this tape. Yeah. And at this point, they don't know whether this tape was ever changed or not. And this would kind of appear to have shown in. So and basically, they set off into the woods. They never come back. Seward hikes out the next day, kind of thing, makes this 911 call. When the police go in, they find um, Locus and Ryan, the sound guy, they find their bodies completely butchered. Like, there's 47 different pieces of them yeah. uh, lying about. They don't ever find Stephen again, but they find uh, his hat and a large area of blood. Um, did you, Did you pick up on what the blood looks like? No. Right, the blood looks. They, they they do superimpose it with something very briefly, and I'm assuming it's a deliberate attempt to. There is like a like a very crude drawing of what the Jersey Devil looks like. All right. And the blood kind. If you look at it again, it kind of looks like the shape of what the Jersey Devil's supposed to look like and later on they flash an image of it kind of when they're doing it in reference to the blood yeah, it's and I, I, it's supposed, I, I reckon it's supposed to look like that I see, I see, right, I hadn't picked up on that anyway, this blood and it's proven to be Stephen's blood uh, but that's all that they, they can find kind of thing um, there's a police investigation after it obviously um, and sure, they go and check Sure's house. They find an item of his clothing with 
blood splatters on it from all three of them, the, the missing ones. And basically between that and all of this video footage, the case against him, you know, he gets found guilty and he basically gets sent to jail over this. Mm-hmm. What then happens is the character of David Lee, who's the documentary filmmaker whose film we are watching, he receives anonymously this box, turns up, and when he opens it, it's full of mangled VHS videotape. Yeah. And we're basically led down the sort of road that this is this missing tape. Now, parts of it are okay, parts of it have been quite badly damaged. So he hooks up with a girl called Shelley, who's like a sort of audio-visual expert, and she's going to try and restore this. And we gradually get sort of drip-fed little bits and pieces of, um, you know, what they're finding as she's restoring this tape. But he also goes further in, so he kind of wants them to reopen this case. Um, however, in the intervening time, Sheard has died in jail, and the state government, the police, are not going to reopen a case, you know, for three dead people, one of whom still missing. Yeah. Oracle, when the guy who they got for it is dead anyway, you know, so it's yeah. not even as if they can get him out of jail, so they're just not interested in getting involved with it kind of thing. But he starts looking into it, and this David Lee, uh, uh, David Lee character starts looking into it. Um, and one of the things he gets back to is this blood-soaked kind of shirt thing, and he says, you know, when you look at the amount of blood that's on it, and you look at the two bodies they found, the two bodies were in 47 pieces. Mm-hmm. The guy would have been drenched in their blood. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, whereas there's a few spots of Locus's blood, and there's a few drops of Rain's blood, and there's a wee bit of Stephen's blood on it, and things like this. You know, this guy would have been drenched head to foot in blood. Um, there's numerous things, and, and the main bit is in the, the videos. So we then see Locus and Ryan going in to the woods after Stephen when they can't find him when he doesn't return. And there is also a very kind of confusing bit where I didn't get it at first, but they go back to it again and you see it happening. Locus appears to see something, drops the camera and runs. You know, one of the things they were saying was, could it possibly be Stephen that actually killed the other two? Because they never ever found him. But then they're saying, but he's just a tiny little guy who they knew. The two of them run off as if their life depends on it. You know, they drop the camera and all that. And you do, you see, I think it's Locus running out the woods away from the camera. They've clearly seen something. Yeah, yeah. Um, they then come across this Shelley girl who's putting it together. She finds a bit of uh, videotape which she is absolutely sure will show the face or show an image of who or what it was that killed them kind of thing. But it's very, very badly mangled kind of thing. So she has to sort of start re-rendering it. And this goes on for days and weeks, I think. In fact, slowly drawing this picture out kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And there's one bit where you see it about halfway through the process. And it's just a really like a white blob, but I thought it was starting to turn into the head shape of the Jersey Devil, you know, as that kind of horse-like head. Yes. Which you're obviously led, they're leading you down that way. So it's kind of looking like, you know, at this point you're thinking, this is it, it's the Jersey Devil. The Jersey Devil killed them and the poor guy went to jail. And that's the kind of obvious way this is going, you know. Um, There's also a very, very unnerving scene where David Lee, the, the documentary maker, he's gone back into the woods mm-hmm. 
and he's kind of found a campsite that's you know kind of roughly approximate to where they were and that, and he is filming himself as he's talking, like doing a selfie, if you like, with a camera, and he's panning round the whole time, and I was just sitting there with like any minute fucking now. <laughs> something's going to because why would he be moving like that why would he be moving the, it, it's an obvious trope suddenly he's going to pan back and there's going to be something in the trees and there's a bit where he stops and just looks there's like a noise or something he stops and he looks to the side and then he just finishes his little bit of film that he's made mm-hmm. uh, okay, I'm going to come on to how I feel about this film but I was shitting myself at this point <laughs> like oh, shitting myself Anyway, it's juxtaposing backwards and forwards between Shelley rendering this and suddenly you start to see that this image that's starting to appear is a human. Yeah. And at this point I'm, I started thinking, oh, is it Stuart? So it actually was him. Yeah. Another bit that I missed out, they, they found that there was a gap in the chat logs. He, as I was saying, he was in his tent on his computer the whole time in these chat rooms, but there was a gap of about 45 minutes where he wasn't online. And that the... The prosecution to try to say, you know, that was his gap. That was when he went and killed them, you know. Anyway, this keeps going. It starts to render clearer and clearer and clearer. <laughs> and then the film really flips in its fucking arse. It suddenly renders clear and you see who it is. And it's David Lee, the documentary filmmaker. Mm-hmm. He killed them. And suddenly it all changes from him you know, the documentary that you're seeing too, like a third person, but you actually see him. He suddenly attacks Shelley yep. and basically suffocates her with plastic wrapping. You see her, he kind of binds the body up and all that, puts it into the thing and he drives out into the pine barns and we then see this sequence again of him filming himself, but as it pans back, her wrapped up body is lying at his feet yeah. the whole time when he's doing it and the film ends there. Mm-hmm. I never saw that coming. I never saw that coming for a second. It's the ending. Yeah. I'm a little torn on. Yeah. I I just I can't make my mind up whether it was utter genius that was maybe just executed a little poorly, or whether it was just oh fuck off. Do you know what I mean? You've just tried to put a spin on it that nobody's seen coming for the sake of it, kind of thing. I really, really can't make my mind up about the ending and I've been thinking about it all day yeah this, the ending's a bit that gets me the ending, every time is the, the bit that I, I I love this movie I love yeah. this movie I don't love the ending yeah um, I will state for the record right now this film is amazing oh yes this film is absolutely brilliant and here's why this film is fucking terrifying and nothing happens in it. Mm-hmm. You see nothing. How the fuck they made this film as scary as they did, I I, I can't explain it. I was trying, I was talking to my daughter, she knew I was watching this film last night and I was speaking to her the night and I said, oh, you'll need to watch this. It's really scary. I said, but I can't explain why it's scary. And obviously you can't tell anything because if you ruin what happens at the end, then the film's a bust. Yeah. You know what I mean? But 
I just, it's just the suspense. It's so creepy. Now, in fairness, I've seen myself watch true crime documentaries, which is what this is, mm-hmm. and being quite scared. Yeah, yeah. Because you know it's real now. Obviously, we know this isn't real, but it takes you down that path, and it's executed really well. You feel mm-hmm. like you're watching a documentary the whole time until that last two or three minutes. But you're just the whole time. You're just waiting for something to happen. The bits where they've reconstituted the film and you see them get into the woods, I'm like, all right, here we go, this is it. We're going to get like a 15 minute period like that bit in Willow Creek. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? yeah. And then you're going to see them getting slaughtered or, or something, or you're going to see the head hitting the ground or something like that. You know, you're going to get the big jump scare. The bit where he's filming himself in the woods and he's panning about like any minute now there's going to be something appear behind him or something and moving in the woods or just something and it never happens there is no scary jump in this film there is nothing that it's you spend best part of an hour and a half shitting yourself about what you're about to see Hmm. that you just never see I was fucked by the end of this film (laughs) Like properly done in, and my nerves were gone. Absolutely gone. This is the nearest I've felt to the end of Poughkeepsie since we did Poughkeepsie tapes. I don't feel that hopeless. Oh my god, I need to gather my family together thing before in case they die type thing that I got with Poughkeepsie. But I was fucking rattled at the end of this film, and I was kind of laughing with it as well because like that. That's just fucking amazing that he's have done this to me and didn't give me a fright at any point in this film. Yeah, it's I think, the strangest thing. I think the, I think there's a like we're kind of touching on like what I was saying about like the score. I think the score plays a a, a really prominent part, even though it's not memorable. Yeah, see, I didn't pick up on the score at all. I've got to say, last night. See, see, if you do watch it again, if you if you watch it with your daughter, um, just listen out to the sound effects in the background, the use of kind of loops of sound, or the, this kind of increase of. It's just really weird how they do it. It's like the the volume increases, but not like the volume increases in a, a more modern horror movie where it all builds up to a jump scare. Uh. You know, you d- not in this movie. And there's just this sense of dread and tension which I think just follows through the movie and I think you've hit the nail exactly on the head is because it's de- you're dealing with a filmmaker who believes that you know that, that that these murders have happened and someone has been wrongly convicted. So we're instantly put into the mindset of this is a criminal documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think on some level you don't you kind of loosen yourself into that idea and not into the idea of I'm watching a horror movie yeah um, and then when things start to unfold within the movie I mean one of the greatest single shots um, in this movie is the expression on Lucas's face which they freeze on as he drops the camera mm-hmm. and it's terror yeah it's pure terror on his face and you know, you start fill you start filling in the blanks when he says, "Does this look like someone who's seen a short man?" That he, you know, what what could put that fear in his face? And you start to think maybe it's the Jersey Devil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe, maybe it is. Maybe it's this creature coming for him. And you start filling in the blanks. Of course, he's going to be terrified if a madman comes screaming, running out the trees, wielding some sort of serrated blade to kill him. Mm-hmm. 
that's going to be terrifying. Yeah. Um, there's also that thing where you hear them running along with the 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 camera, and it's so so clever because they're running in snow. So it eventually gets to the point where you don't know if what you are hearing is footsteps running in snow or stabbing. Mm-hmm. Because the sound effect is so similar. Yeah. It's this crunching, squelching noise, and you don't know what it is. So, if you think on one mindset, you think that he's running away from something, it's not that big a jump to think that you're hearing the sounds of someone being murdered on camera. Which, once again, that's more powerful than the image on screen because your mind fills in the blanks. What this movie cleverly does is it deliberately doesn't show you anything because it knows that if your imagination is tuned in just quite right, you will fill in the blanks with something that's infinitely more terrifying than they can afford to do on the budget of this oh, movie. I mean, it's the Jaws effect. You yeah. Know, we've talked about it before. It's the Jaws effect, you know, and, and it just works so well. But it's like you say, you've got to pitch it. Just that that fraction that gets it right, that your mm-hmm. mind just runs out of fucking control on its own. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And this film just nails it. This film is fucking brilliant. Do and you know this movie? This movie was made for nine hundred dollars. Is that right enough? Yeah, nine hundred dollars. Or is it less than the battery? Yeah, it was made for nine hundred dollars, and it kind of spearheaded the the whole kind of. It didn't single-handedly spearhead the the move to found footage, but it, it certainly, like I say, it predates the Blair Witch Project. Although I think they were being made about the same time, mm-hmm. but this movie made. I didn't make Blair Witch amounts of money, but we're talking about tens of millions this movie made for $900. Yeah. This film pisses all over the Blair Witch Project. Oh! And it does. It abs- and I quite like the Blair Witch Project, and the Blair Witch Project scared the shit out of me. This yeah. film is so much better. It's so much more clever. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's just a far better film. It, the mm. way it just sucks you in. Blair Witch was great at what it did, and you know that was the one that most people saw for the first time. That style of found footage, you know. What I mean, I remember when we watched that. I told you, I tried to go and see the cinema and couldn't get through it and all that kind of thing, you know. Yeah. But this is the I would have sat through this in the cinema, but I would have been fucking terrified. Yeah. Do you know what? I'm, that was the other thing. I, you're not getting the motion sickness, fucking crap that went along with the Blair Witch Project either. Do you know? What I'm, even the bits yeah. in the woods, it's just little short clips you're getting. You know, it's not these prolonged periods staring through the lens of a camera that's bobbing up and down on somebody's shoulder, you know. But that's Poughkeepsie as well. Poughkeepsie, the, to me, there's there's a, a kind of loss of the idea of what found footage actually is as a genre. Um, if we are to be in a position where we consider found the, the, the first found footage movie to be Cannibal Holocaust, yeah. right? You have to sit and think about what Cannibal Holocaust actually is. Cannibal Holocaust is a movie... That about plays, a movie yes and in that movie they look at filmed footage yes you know you know filmed of the, the, the demise of these people that were particularly nasty the last broadcast by that definition is a found footage movie because it is a documentary a well shot documentary movie which features filmed footage within it the Blair Witch Project is purely the found footage it's, it's purely yes shot found footage and that's after the Blair Witch Project's success found footage to an extent takes a different road it went down that road the Blair Witch Road yeah it yeah. went down the Blair Witch Road because you didn't have to put anything else around it you didn't have to give the movie context either you could give it a one line at the beginning of a movie it didn't even need to be spoken about 
With the Blair Witch Project, you could just have a tagline that said three kids went into the woods to find uh, make a documentary they were missing. Their footage was found three years later. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they, they, they don't have to do that. What Poughkeepsie does um, is plays very much off the last broadcast in that it's a documentary which features found footage. And in the documentary, they explain what you are seeing in the found footage. Or they put their spin on it. Um, which I find an a, a infinitely more fascinating way of making found footage movies. Um, and there's a lot less of them. There's a lot less of that particular style of movie. I've been led to believe, even though I've not seen it, but Late Mungle, which is on our list, is apparently a similar sort of thing. It's a documentary into, you know, a, a particular crime or whatever. But in the case of that one, it's shot professionally as a documentary. Deborah Logan is the same idea as well. So, I mean, these are the reasons that these movies have kind of appeared on the found footage list because I prefer that style. Um, oh yeah, I, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I, 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 I'm, I'm. You will never know how chuffed I am that you like this movie oh, because this is, it's always a gamble for me because I know that I don't really like the ending and the ending to me is the bit that you're left with at the end. So you know, it's, it's sometimes people will completely gauge their whole opinion of a movie even if they've enjoyed up to that end point on the very end and yeah. if the end doesn't land they don't dig it but I think this movie for the limited budget it had for the very simple idea that it has is a very simple premise um, I think is executed far greater than it should ever have been and I think is immensely effective when you watch it even let's be like I watched it like I say last night which will be my maybe my maybe 10th time I've seen this movie, but the first time I've seen it in about a decade, and I sat down to watch it, and I was glued mm-hmm. to the screen, absolutely glued, glued to the screen. And I knew everything that was going to happen, but I was watching it back just going, it's, you know, this movie is so much better than it should be. Mm-hmm. When you consider how found footage is now made with budgets which are maybe, you know, 100 to 150 times greater than this, but can't pull off suspense at all, and this movie does it with nothing. Yeah, yeah, no, and that's what it reminds me of. Again, I keep it's much closer to Poughkeepsie than it is to the Blair Witch to me. This film, yeah, um, but yeah, it's just, it probably helps that I love documentaries, and, and you just you feel like you're watching one. Do you know what I mean? The ending, yeah, I'm still very torn over the ending but there's just so much more to this film than that ending that I can look by it even if I land on the nah, the ending kind of ruins its side I'll still love the film overall Yeah, do you know what I mean um, And I, I don't know when I'll make my mind up I don't know if I maybe need to watch it again to make my mind up I definitely will watch this film again this is one of my faves that we've done um, it's up there with Poughkeepsie and, and Willow Creek which again was another film I know we didn't do that for the show but I loved that mm-hmm. film Um this is an amazing film. I, I, I didn't know, I mean, I knew obviously it wouldn't have cost a lot to make that, yeah. you tell that by looking at it. And I know the whole thing about the Blair Witch was that it was this tiny wee independent film that was made for pennies, you know. But $900 is fucking ridiculous. Do you know what I mean? That, that's nuts that they made it for that. Um, and it just shows you what you can do with a good idea and a genuine talent for making films. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the two guys behind it, um, uh, Stefan Avalos and uh, Lance Wheeler, have not really 
they never really went on to have the success of an Eduardo Sanchez from Blair Witch Project. They never really went to, they do, they both have their own companies and work on kind of smaller, more intimate projects. Um, They have done some movies, the movies have never been big, you know, or, or cracked any level of huge success. And it's it's in a weird it's it's a weird anomaly because this movie, like I say, is the one which kind of preempts the Blair Witch Project, kind of sets the stage for an interesting take. When when we're running through, I mean, this movie came out nineteen ninety eight. So nineteen ninety eight, by that point, Scream has now arrived. Scream came out in ninety six. Right. So horror is undertaking its first big huge shift of the 90s and that's towards kind of the reboot of the slasher movie so we're already getting things like I Know What You Did Last Summer we're getting things like um, Urban Legend Yeah. we're getting you know a Scream 2 by this point you know all these movies are coming out and this movie lands and this movie lands with a you know with, with a, a very minimalist approach to a genre that hasn't really been tackled ever really in the in the nineties and was barely touched in the eighties. And it comes out and it, it just it doesn't quite make an impact at all. And then Blair Witch Project comes out less than six months after and but even the Blair Witch Project comes out makes a lot of money. It wasn't as if we got a hundred found footage movies after that. Found footage as we know it now does not kick off into the way that we know it until Paranormal Activity. Right. Which is, you know, about a decade after the Blair Witch Project, before someone finally goes back, tries that, that approach again, and then sees it take off. So The Last Broadcast is a movie that has pretty much been forgotten about. It's, it's one of these movies that is... And I, I would never have seen this movie if I hadn't worked in a video shop. You know what I mean? I worked in a video shop. I saw this movie... This It came out, I think, about a week before um, Blair Witch on, on VHS. Right. So... I saw this movie and then saw the Blair Witch Project, you know, about a week apart. And I, I can't I can't quite I'm not I'm not gonna hundred percent say to you. I, I do prefer Blair Witch over this, but I think maybe not now. If I if I actually sit and look at the movies together, if I was to watch Blair Witch and Last Broadcast, I'd probably prefer Last Broadcast. But at the time Blair Witch Project, I told you about what that did to me. Yeah, that, yeah. that creeped me the fuck out for days. Mm-hmm. I mean I had to walk through the woods to go home after work at night and I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. So I ended up walking forty five minutes longer. <laughs> yeah to get home because I wouldn't walk through the woods and no movie does that to me Buzz I, I know they're all movies and all the rest and I think that's that's the beauty of this movie I think it's, it's beauty lies in its simplicity it's a very very simple very small minimalist movie which you think about it we don't get we don't even get that much time speaking to the actual characters no the, you know the majority of it is the, the quite frankly awesome performance by uh, David Beard as David Lee, the filmmaker, who has a very deep kind of tone, mm-hmm. which kind of and it, he doesn't. He, there's no emotion in his tone. It's very monotone as he talks you through everything that happens in this movie, and we get small clips of things. Um, yeah, I think I think it's a fucking phenomenal movie. I'm, I am so so glad that you dug it. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you want to say about it before I ask you? What will be a series of prominent questions uh, on every episode um, of this run of Baz v Halloween? Yeah, I don't think so really. It's 
it's just, it's the first time in a while I've just genuinely been sitting there shitting myself. And when it finished, it was the confusion. Why were you so frightened by that? Do you know what I mean? Because you get to the end, you you know everything that's happened now, and nothing happened. You didn't see anything. There was no scares. And the level of fear that it created just... I was really, really confused. Really confused. I just... It was brilliant. Great movie. Right, Baz. Let's let's bring it in then. Let's bring it in. So, in this second movie of this show, I need to ask you the question. In the immortal pantheon, Baz, the, the, the battlefield, the eternal struggle of Baz v. Halloween, who won this round? Was it the Baz or was it the last broadcast? This one's got to go to the last broadcast, mate. No Ooh. question about it. The film scared the pants off me. Fantastic. I think we are in for a pretty cracking run of shows. I can't wait to see where we go next. We are going to take a very short break. Baz is going to pour himself a stiff one. Um, And when we come back, we're going to be closing out this show right after this. Almost midnight. Enough time for one more story. They try to kill us. You ungodly warlock. But we just won't stay dead. What's the matter? You can't hold your liquor, huh? The Midnight Horror Show. The internet's goriest and raunchiest horror podcast since 2008. Now live every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Time at tmhsradio.com. Listen on your mobile device with the TuneIn app. Search TMHS Radio or download us at iTunes, Podomatic, or the TMHS Radio page. You're listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. And you've been listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. This has been Baz v Halloween, the first episode of 2015. The Baz has tackled I Spit in Your Grave from 1978 and the last broadcast from 1998. And at the end of the first round, we can reveal that it's one each. Shocker. I cannot believe that. I genuinely thought you were going to be two zero up. I had already marked on my sheet, I've already roughly worked out what I think the scores will be at the end of this season of shows, and I had it written down that you were going to be 2-0 up by the end of this one. Had it not been for a a, a shock uh, turn of events, a welcome one in my mind, because I love the movie, but the last broadcast, uh, pulling one back for Halloween, how do you feel at the end of this first round, Baz? Sick as a parrot, Gov, it was a game of two halves. It was indeed, it was indeed, there you go, It's, it's surprising how the first movie kind of wears its, its shock on its sleeve. You know, it forces you to watch rape. Um, it forces you to watch humiliation. And that had it had effect on you, but not enough to swing points. The second movie comes along that hides everything from the camera and it scares the shit out of you. Exactly. It's like one of those little Amazonian fishes that swims up your urethra. Oh, Baz, we <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, um, the last broadcast, I, yeah, I'm still fucking floored by that film, to be honest, um, don't know why it's so fucking scary, <laughs> 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 um, I think, 
I could have been quite unfair and, and I could have pulled the wool over your eyes with that film, I think, but there's just no point in doing that. It was, it genuinely did put the fear into me and I have fucking no idea why. Uh, so, no, yeah. I, I, want you, I want you to be awesome, my man, and I want you to be, you know, sitting there and taking it in and if it affects you, then it affects you and if it doesn't affect you, it doesn't affect you um, and you're going to, I know that you're awesome enough Baz to be honest on this show I don't think for one second you would fake um, a scare or an impact of a movie because we've covered so many that you could have done that already on so I, uh, yeah. uh, I like to wear my hat on my sleeve and my cock hanging out the front of my jeans big man yep and sometimes it's uncomfortable when I'm sitting opposite you so it's, uh, it's kind of weird when we go for lunch on a Friday as well but that's it is whole... indeed it is that's it's taking the good with the bad Baz <laughs> Sweet with a sour, the yin with a yang. Um, but yes, that's the, that's the first round down. Week one done. Yeah, we're sitting at one each. Well, a long fucking so, way to go, mate. Long way to go. Oh, yes, sir. we still have another eight movies to review in October. Um, we return in less than a week. Uh, we'll be back on Monday, back to our usual Monday time. Um, and next week we are covering another two really interesting movies under the unsettling cinema camp we are going to be doing Antichrist uh, the Lars von Trier movie um, Lars von Trier obviously very famous Danish director um, movie stars a certain guy you may have heard of him before called Willem Dafoe fairly, fairly prolific actor um, and yeah that, that one it's going to be interesting to see your take on that one because that one's very psychological. Um, and the film as long as he comes running out the jungle with his arms raised to the heaven and poising his knees, I'm happy. Don't <laughs> I don't think yeah, it's it's set in the woods, Baz. But I don't think there's anything as jubilant or triumphant as that in the movie. Um, <gasps> yeah. Yeah, that movie will make you cross your legs pretty quick. Um, so, so there's that movie. Uh, and the found footage camp, we're going to be tackling a movie from a couple of years ago called The Den, which is a found footage movie which involves the internet, um, in particular chat rooms. And I don't think it's a flawless movie, but I really enjoy it. I really, really enjoy it. I think there's a lot in that movie which makes it makes it really interesting and this will be an interesting test because neither one of these movies are scary um, so we'll see we'll see if maybe some psychology some psychological trauma uh, is enough to make a dent in the Bazzi's uh, shields and maybe <laughs> give you the opportunity to maybe it'll give you the opportunity to go uh, two points clear Baz we don't know we do not know we'll only know by returning back to this show in a couple of days time see, um, see when you say things like it might give you the chance to go two points clear Baz I like to shut my eyes and pretend that you're thinking talking about football Duncan <laughs> but, uh... sports ball yeah <laughs> that, that, that soccer love soccer um, <laughs> you want to strangle me right now uh, so um, yeah we uh, we are gonna okay, try and break you uh, on this season hopefully we do uh, I, I would like nothing better to enroll into that video commentary of Grave Encounters 2 uh, dealing with nothing but a shell of a man we will need to wait and see <laughs> Shut if that, that happens um, it would be quite interesting to the listeners out there um, 
those that interact with us through Twitter and Facebook. Have you seen I Spit in Your Grave 1978? Have you seen the last broadcast in 1998? Let us know what you made of those movies. Um, uh, did you cope with them admirably, like uh, Baz, in terms of I Spit in Your Grave? Is the last broadcast a, sta- a scary movie? Because I know plenty of people that tell me it does nothing for them at all. So uh, let us know. You can tweet us uh, at tputzcast or um, go to the Facebook group page, which is facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash tputzcast. There is a multitude of ways to check out the show. You can listen to us on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, through iTunes. Um, if you do listen to us through iTunes, we would appreciate if you take a couple of seconds to leave us a review. If it's five stars, for example, the more of them we get, the higher up the ratings we go, the more likely it is people will stop across the show. You can listen to us also on the Legion Podcast Network, surrounded by a bevy of other fantastic shows um, over on that network. Um, Baz, I don't know about you, but I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of now feeling a sense of relief that the first one is down. Yep. And uh, I am very very apprehensive to see what you make of next week's selection Um, anything you want to say to our listeners before we mosey on out here and uh, and gear yourself up for room 2 I don't think so other than to echo what you've been saying Duncan um, October's going to be a long month there's a lot of films coming your way Uh, a lot of Baz V Halloween coming your way Um, by all means chip in on the Facebook page. I'm on the Facebook page most days uh, checking out what folk are saying, so if you've got opinions about the films, let me know. I'm also, I'm not solely in charge, but I'm kind of the main person that deals with the Teapots Cast Twitter account, so if you want to speak to me directly, you'll get me on there. Um, and I think that's about it. I'm off to bed for a late night meal of pasta up early in the morning for the next match. <laughs> Cue the Rocky montage scene. <laughs> yeah. Just, just bad sitting there watching The Exorcist and Rosemary's Baby, just like building himself up. Um, yeah, uh, thanks very much to everyone out there for supporting the show. Your feedback, your comments, and your continued support are what make this show worthwhile to do for for me especially. I, I know I'm I'm speaking for myself and the Baz here. Um, no, no, I do it for the cold hard cash. <laughs> yeah, checks in the mail, checks in the mail. <laughs> um, but yeah, you make it incredibly easy for us to put out shows and um, we love you all long, long time for that. Uh, we will speak to you in just under a week. Please take care of yourselves out there. Baz, do you want to say goodbye to them? Bye-bye. And I will speak to you very, very soon. This is Duncan McLeish from the podcast Under the Stairs, signing off.